0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. The uh, podcast is The Current Yield. I am Jim Grant, and with me, as always, is uh, Eric Whitehead at the controls, and with me frequently, as frequently, is Phil Grant, who uh, runs our almost daily grants department, absent with leave Is the great Evan Lorenz Deputy editor of Grants He of the Melodious Voice Evan was uh, Tossing around Weights Free weights Yesterday I think he was You know these these 250 pound things Oh yeah Yeah I shed. know those Yeah And um, he seemed To have wrenched Something I don't know I told him to He goes to 500 With each hand I told him to Start light And he wouldn't Do it So anyway But he'll be Back soon I hope Ladies and gentlemen This is the uh, It's the Valentine's Day Podcast That's right Yeah Yeah, And I am Actually I, I'm Jim Granted I am where Wearing a red polka dot bow tie, which seems to, to summon this office a little precious. I could tell by the way they looked at me. But you gotta dress like you mean it, especially on Valentine's Day. Yeah, say, that's oh, right. Look at these guys. One of them's wearing washed trousers. The other one's got um, light boost socks with.
1: Uh, I'm saving my saving my costume I for think, later. I think
0: I think those are Santa Claus. Yeah, they are. Eric White is wearing Santa Claus socks on Valentine's. Oh, there's Day. only ten
1: months left until
0: Christmas. Yeah. So. You do have to get them washed out just put them aside. From the... So today we're going to talk about negative interest rates. They don't, they don't call them negative for nothing. We're going to talk about uh, books that uh, we are reading. We're going to uh, talk about store of value. We're going to critique a performance on CNBC this morning by Governor Leo Brainard. And uh, more, we're going to talk about expectations, which may or may not be anchored. In fact, we're going to begin with expectations and their anchorage.
1: Anchors away. So um, uh, on Tuesday, the Bank of America Merrill Lynch uh, Research Group uh, released their monthly uh, fund manager survey, which is always a useful uh, gauge of sentiment. And uh, what, what was notable to me was that despite the, the terrific start to the year for, uh, for for stock prices, that um, the, the, the bearishness kind of pervades. Uh, so allocation to equities is, is at 6% overweight, which is the lowest level in more than two years. 44% of respondents, a net 44%, I should say, of respondents are overweight cash, which is the highest proportion since January of 2009. Whew. Very surprising. And um, a, a large majority of respondents expect global GDP growth to weaken over the next 12 months. While secular. secular. Secular stagnation is, again, the consensus view with 55% of those surveyed bearish on both growth and inflation for the next year. So uh, seeing that reminded me of of a very short item that ran in grants two years ago titled How Long Secular? Um, noting that the, the same survey found that in, in February of 2016, that 88% of respondents said that secular stagnation was the future. Uh, one year later, Donald Trump in office, that number dropped to 43%. So f- uh, 45% swing, secular stagnation one year. So how long secular? How long right. secular? Yeah, for right. you,
0: for you, six months. That's right. Well, you know, the Fed is uh, is very, very big on uh, so-called anchoring of expectations. That's their view that for a central bank to succeed in the not war against inflation, I guess the partnership with inflation is the term these days. It must uh, somehow control expectations, and uh, expectations seem rather uh, I don't know seem rather uh, uh, uncontrollable, or at least rather fickle. In fact, one might almost say, borrowing from the late great Richard Russell, that markets make opinions. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. All right, so um, my day began with reading an email that came in from uh, Paul Isaac, the invaluable Paul Isaac, source of so many ideas grants. Uh, and grants and Paul uh, relayed a uh, a tweet by uh, uh, Charlie Bellello, and uh, Mr. Bellello did a public benefaction in compiling a matrix of negative yields. Now, he listed the countries that have issued securities quoted at nominal yields of less than nothing. He arranged them by maturity, right? Switzerland has like a 10-year uh, horizon for negative yields, and then Japan's got securities that go negative out to nine years, and Germany's eight years, Denmark, six, Netherlands, Finland, five, so know, Ireland, three, Spain, two. And then it gets interesting, it gets uh, so uh, Portugal- that's one. Portugal has one year, of, uh, and so does Malta, and so does Bulgaria. Now, Bulgaria caught my eye, because in the day, it was the kind of place that Eric Whitehead would take his family, the <laughs> communist regime. A little Spartan, to be sure, but uh, if you went on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you would get a square meal there, I think, especially in the capital city. And they've also got a, a good uh, days-in motel, to which Eric likes while traveling. And uh, <laughs> that was uh, Bulgaria then. Now, B- Bulgaria now is a very different uh, proposition. I don't, I'm not sure that the, the Whiteheads would care to visit now. It seems to be a, a triple B country, balances its budget. But still, it has, it has a security maturing in 2020, a little less than a year. And it is priced to deliver a yield of 36 basis points negative. In brackets, 36 basis points. So you pay Bulgaria... <sighs> Your, uh, the, you know, the, the, about the day before yesterday, it was a totalitarian regime. We shouldn't hold that against it. It's a triple B country. But still, Bulgaria. It's like Bulgaria, right? You pay them. Now, this is, um, I know that the European Central Bank has pitched its uh, intervention rate at minus 40 basis points. Now, I'm sure that a mathematically inclined central bank here could say, well, it's trivial that these things all fall out from the central bank's intervention rate. But still, I mean, this $8.8 trillion, I think, uh, Fabiano Santini yeah, $8.8, yeah. 8.8 trillion today is priced to you less than nothing. And bear in mind, this is, so the, the Bulgaria paper was in euros, euro-denominated. But uh, a very, very engaged reader of ours, the uh, most successful and uh, learned, Keith Bronstein in Chicago, emailed, he was watching CNBC this morning, and he, he emailed to say when he was going to school, in fact, I think he sat under the... Teaching of Milton Friedman, uh, and he learned that currency was store of value and a medium of exchange. So yes, all media of exchange, but none, he writes, a store of value. The dual role seems to have been permanently ruptured. And I would say that the the new role of these currencies is uh, units of macroeconomic policy making or tools thereof. So Keith asks, "Quote: What will be the store or stores of value as there is no?" interruption of money printing, if there's no interruption of money printing. And he he apologizes for using that uh, uh, somewhat uh, inadmissible phrase, money printing. So he said, rather, geometric debt creation. What happens if there's no interruption of that? And he characterizes that question as the question of the age, which indeed it might be. So uh, negative rates. I I see, Phil, that the San Francisco Fed, uh, this couple of, uh, I guess a week or so ago, was out um, February 4th was out with paper and analysis about uh, negative rates. And I think the, the idea was that in the future, they might be a little bit of okay.
1: Yeah, And uh, separately, they uh, also um,
0: posit that uh,
1: quantitative easing could be an effective tool even outside of uh, moments of financial distress. This is kind of a, a, a monetary maintenance.
0: Yeah, well, QE in a way is another term for um, open market operations. But I think that they mean something a little bit different than conventional pre-crisis open market operations. They mean like QE, right? Going in—that's that's what I buying I two point nine trillion dollars worth, as Mario Draghi has done in Europe. Uh, right. And Mario Draghi was out the other day saying, "Yes, we could uh, revisit uh, QE. We nothing—nothing nothing is off the table," said he. And this is, speaks to the question of, uh, of conviction and of uh, sentiment. So the European Central Bank was going to uh, begin to raise its negative intervention rate. Now it's going to think about not raising it and, and think about restoring perhaps QE and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it is. Although the, uh, I see that the, uh, the president of the Bundesbank, the German Central Bank, uh, uh, was out recently saying the time is past time to normalize... Uh, the ECB's most abnormal interest rates. Well, we'll see about that. So uh, this program, ladies and gentlemen, does not come unsponsored. No. Well, in the first place, we're sponsored by us. It's a little you know, a little bit narcissistic, to be sure. Nothing wrong with that. Oh, Kim Kardashian has made rather a good living That's here. right. That's right. Shame yeah. is out. It's 2019. Well, um, and we are sponsored by uh, Audible which is the way to listen to books. And we are also sponsored by Pitney Bowes, SendPro. And I'm going to tell you a little about SendPro right now. SendPro Online by Pitney Bowes. SendPro. It's the online software that helps you save time and money no matter what you send. It could be letters, packages, overnights, flats. It could be a redemption letter to that uh, annoying value investor in whose fund you've invested. (laughs) And all it goes down. Okay, the intrinsic value of the stocks goes up. The prices go down, and you, in great, want to redeem. Ah, go ahead. You know, as soon as you redeem, it's going to be up fifty percent, right? That's right. Yeah. Anyway, that, that, that's that. We're. But a you can apparent. use
1: the Send Pro to redeem. I think that's really the.
0: Yes, that that's it. Goes back on track. You can use Send Pro online by fitting both to redeem, and you'll always pay the right amount. It comes with a free ten-pound scale that weighs and calculates rates rates for you. Plus, you can compare uh, options uh, between UPS, UPS. And FedEx right at your fingertips. So it says here that on January 27th of this year, USPS, that must mean the Postal Service, raised its rates, unlike a certain central bank we know. But just by using SendPro online, you get discounts up to 40% off USPS priority mail shipping. And you get 5 cents off every letter you send. No additional equipment is needed. Just log on to your computer and use your own printer to print shipping labels and stamps. Uh, SendPro online is only $14, bucks, 14 dollars 99 a month, and listeners get a free 30-day trial when you visit PB, as in peanut butter, pb.com slash grantspod, pb.com slash grantspod. Yeah, so experience the convenience of SendPro online, and do try it for free at pb.com slash grantspod. Yeah, so thank you, Penny Bowes. So, um, you know, every once in a while, Phil, some of our literary listeners ask what the heck we are reading. And that's a very good question. I happen to have been looking. For, this is a, a book that's been out a while. I think it's been a while. Let's see. The title is Leadership at the Fed by Donald F. Kettle. Now, Kettle is spelled in a funny kind of way. You'll need the spelling to look it up. K-E-T-T-L, Leadership at the Fed. And I see that the Yale University Press published it in 1986. And this is a kind of a portrait uh, uh, profiles of uh, Fed uh, chairman, and it did not get up to Janet Yellen, so they're all chairman, and there's an occasional Treasury secretary mixed in here. But it's fascinating, I find, reading this thing to, to recall or to learn what our monetary masters were worried about in the past. And, Phil, I was especially struck by the information that uh, this is the, the early... 60s. So John F. Kennedy came into office in 1961, and he was concerned with the monetary situation. The dollar then was exchangeable into gold at $35 an ounce. Foreign central banks could make that exchange on demand. And the U.S. is running uh, its gold stock down. The rate of inflation was quiescent, but still there was this uh, persistent drain of monetary gold abroad. And do you know that John F. Kennedy later confided, I think he told Arthur Schlesinger Jr., his um, speechwriter and muse, he told someone, and Schlesinger related, that two things worried him most. One was nuclear war with the Soviet Union, and the second was the current account deficit. Can you imagine I mean, you never hear about the current account deficit. I mean, so the United States has not, I think, not been in a trade surplus in about 150 years. You never hear about the deficit in the U.S. international investment position—that is, what we own of foreigners versus what they own of us. That's a huge deficit. You never—well, you hear a lot about the treasury deficit, but it too was meant to be a, a somewhat antiquated calculation that really, if you listen to the mon- modern monetary theorists, is not large enough. And really, nobody is standing up for uh, fiscal probity, as it used to be called. I, I sound like an old guy. Fine. I'm an old guy. Yeah. But I'm, I'm thinking, Phil and Eric, that when the uh, Donald F. Kettle, if he is uh, inclined to write the next the next volume of this, the successive volume, he might uh, find a very different set of, of worries. I mean, uh, Mariner Eccles, who was the Fed chairman in the late 30s and in the 40s, I guess, uh, Mariner Eccles was concerned about the latent and not so latent inflation uh, being stored up by the suppression of interest rates, a project to facilitate the financing of World War II. That was Mariner Eccles's concern. And uh, so financial repression for the chair- that chairman of the Fed was a source of deep concern. And now it's like, you know, it's, it's like uh, it's how we save the world. Right. Mario Draghi, has, I have, I, he has not confessed to us, I, as far as I know, maybe I missed something, or maybe he confides his intimate circle, but he has, I think, not publicly acknowledged second thoughts about the consequences of these very low interest rates. He seems to think that they have been just fine. Well, they've been just fine for Japan for 20 years, and they haven't gotten out of This is... Of course, just my opinion, but it seems to be a coordinated perspective
1: on the part of global central bankers to manage the expectations of their populations and their financial oh, markets. Yes. And, and, and admitting any sort of doubt about what they're doing seems to, you know, it runs counter to, yes. to their stated policy.
0: And, and you, and you kind of have to see, I, I, sometimes I imagine myself in the shoes of one of these people, I, and I think how annoying must be this chirping off stage to them, my chirping off stage to them. You see what happened? I mean, uh, Jay Powell, is a, I think, is a very, Uh, attractive personality and I say that because especially because he seems to uh, know exactly what he doesn't know about the future which uh, as with most of us is nothing he knows nothing about the future really he guesses about it as we all do but he, he knows nothing about it and he can phase that. And, uh, but, you know, you, you, you're written off as a weakling if you do that, if you acknowledge that. And I think it's an occupational hazard, although it is a true, it is the true expression of the proper intellectual humility by the thoughtful person. But it's not going to get you the plaudits of Wall Street. And when uh, the Fed changed its mind recently, famously, that was an expression of what? It was an expression of uh, uncertainty, certainly, but I think also was a, a kind of an acknowledgement that it's really got nothing to do except to read the papers. I mean, that, well, that's, that's what
1: data-dependent is, right? If the, if the data has changed, then you're supposed to change course.
0: Okay. I was on CNBC today. Yeah, I was. I, Congrats. Uh, thank you. And my friend Rick Santelli uh, actually let me say what I wanted to say, and I was very grateful for, him for that, even if the viewers of CNBC might not have been, but I was grateful. So, uh, Rick threw me some uh, friendly kind of batting practice. It must be said, some batting practice pitches. He said, Jim, what do you think of negative rates? You know, knowing full well what I was going to... And what do you think of the Fed's balance sheet? So I use that opportunity to repeat what we have said in grants, and I guess I have said in public elsewhere that the Federal Reserve technically is in solid as of uh, September 30th, 2018, according to its own financials, which you can find if you really search for them. Uh, Just type in h 41 Take you to the Fed's uh, financial disclosure forms, and you'll see September 30, the September 30th financials. Looks like page seven. There's a breakdown of cumulative loss or gain on the securities portfolio, and that cumulative loss is now about $69 billion. The capital is $39 billion. That the Fed has leveraged 100 to 1, uh, the New York Fed, 200 to 1. And I say, you know, this is it's, uh, it is rather an eyesore. It is not financially substantive as a fact because the, uh, the Treasury has uh, pledged to support the Fed through any vicissitude it is standing by to make good any losses. They promised that in an almost incomprehensible footnote to the H-401 form in early January 2011, but they did that. They did commit to um, supporting the Fed if, as and when, its um, securities portfolio under the stress of higher interest rates was to show a mark-to-market loss. The Fed doesn't mark itself to market, so as I say, this is rather symbolic, but the symbolism I held do hold is important. So anyway, so then uh, Rex said, uh, oh, what do you think of... um uh, Lael Brainard, Governor Brainard, who was uh, who preceded me, is as, as uh, I think Rick's guest this morning. And uh, she said, in a very cogent way, as she always does, she said that um, their balance sheet normalization is underway, and much of it has in fact occurred. And they proceeding carefully, as prudent people would. And um, and then she said uh, something that I, I thought was telling of the Fed the way the Fed does business. She said uh, we know that liquidity demand on the part of financial institutions is much higher than it was pre-crisis, so we want to make sure that there's an ample supply of reserves to guard against. Volatility. I I thought, what is that? Now there is volatility of all kinds. There might be the volatility that was attendant upon a liquidity shortage in the banking system. But I think, maybe I'm just too markets minded, but I think volatility for most people would connote that kind of volatility which caused the Fed to do an about face into the new year. And I asked Rick, and I asked the world, again, rhetorically, so what, so what business is the Fed in? Is, is the business of, of forestalling or doctoring bear markets, which some of us regard as value restoration projects or works? So is that their job? No volatility? You can suppress volatility. You're not going to destroy it. Anyway, it seemed to be a, a worrisome expression, uh, a candid one to be sure, but a worrisome expression of what the Fed is doing to us collectively. It is destroying bond markets worldwide, here I go. Does it sound like a speech to you? Uh, no, no, no. Eric, You're good. it's fine, right? Yeah. Well,
1: it's important. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a yeah. strange thing to
0: say. Yeah, okay. But, uh, I'm going to stop saying it. Oh, I don't know what else I have to do. I, I have to uh, tell the world about Audible, which is uh, I have um, confessed right here on this very radio program, I've, I've confessed to some of the least healthy, hygienic sleep habits. In the five boroughs of New York, I've confessed to perfect strangers that I go to bed with my cell phone under my pillow, listening to the audible version of James Boswell's Life of Samuel Johnson. I do that, but I am not a monomaniac on the subject or a complete bore. No, I have other interests in life, and one of them is baseball. And it began with the pitchers and catchers reporting spring training. Right? That's right. Like today, right? Uh, yeah. Just, just this day. week. Yeah. Oh, today's what? Thursday? Yesterday they came. Good news, right, Eric? Yes, very good. Ah we well, think it would never come but it did i am going to tell you about audible why you can get a uh, life of samuel johnson and listen to it as you go to sleep it'll make you a much more literate person of course you won't sleep much but first things first but here's what audible got to say to you could listening make you a better parent a better leader even a better person or a better sleeper no never mind. could listening to motivating fitness programs get you fit by the way no no, you got to do the work. Right, first you first you listen to the programs, then you work out. Yeah, but you, you can't forget to work. You can listen to it all day. I mean, for Pete's sake, just do the damn push-ups. Where was I? Ah, could listening inspire you to start something new? Well, with Audible, you get access to an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, motivation, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, somewhat uh, antiquated biographies of 18th century literary figures, and more. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, and now... With Audible Originals, the selection has gotten even more custom and content made for members. Honor of the beginning of the two thousand nineteen baseball season, a book that Philip has just finished. I think you can attest to its excellence. It's no? Yes. Yeah. All right. Here's the title: Ted Williams. Yeah. Number nine: Ted Williams. It's uh, the biography of an American hero by Lee Monfill. And this is just—I've read it myself. Ted Williams by Lee Montfill is as M O N T V I L L E. And uh, all right, so I, I've marked a passage, and this is one of my favorites. So uh, Ted Williams, as some of you may know, uh, detested the press. How anyone can hate what Phil, what you and I do, Eric, what you help us do for a living, like type for a living. How people can take offense of this, I don't know, but some people do. In fact, we know people in Washington, DC, who hate what we do. Right. Nuts to them. Yeah. Tough luck. Yeah. Hey, if the shoe fits, wear it fit, yeah. okay? That's right. Uh, where was he? Ah uh, yes. Okay. So Ted Williams in the press. So uh, he called the Knights of the Keyboard. And they got him on him and he got on them. And it was hate at first typing and it persisted throughout Williams' Hall of Fame career. So here is Lee Monfil describing Ted's relationship, if that's the word, with the Boston sports writers. All right. All male. Here it is. So it remains, says, at its cranky norm. It was roughly the same relationship South Korea had established with North Korea since the war. Two sides didn't talk much, and when they did, it was in angry outbursts. Williams and the writers started, stared a lot across their own 38th parallel, each waiting for the other to make some foolish, provocative move to begin hostilities again. And it goes on from there. This is fabulous. Okay, so that's, that's is Ted Williams by Lee Mountville. So Audible members can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two audio, Audible originals you can't hear anywhere else. Audible members also get access to exclusive audio fitness programs to start the new year off on the right foot. Listen on any device, anytime, anywhere, at home, at the gym, while sleeping. Oh, I didn't say that. On your commute or just on the go. You'll also enjoy easy audio book exchanges, rollover credits, and audio book library you'll keep forever, even if you cancel so Audible, the most inspiring minds, the most compelling stories, the best place to listen. Get started with a 30-day trial when you go to audible.com grant or text grant to 500500 and listen for a change. That's uh, audible.com grant or text grant to 500500 and listen for a change. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. This is uh, Jim Grant on behalf of The Current Eel. Talk to you next time.